Take your Bibles, if you would. I'm mainly going to be preaching from the book of Acts, but I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Ephesians to start off with. Uh, I'm going to be speaking on this morning on uh, this topic, uh, the fullness of the Spirit. And uh, even though that ex- expression, you won't find the fullness of the Spirit uh, anywhere in Holy Scripture, but there's abundant support throughout the Word of God for that description. It talks about being filled with the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit, but I want to talk about what that means this morning. And in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22, it says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The fullness of him. I want you to notice that word fullness this morning. In the Greek, it's the Greek term pleroma. And uh, pleroma really suggests a picture of a Greek warship. You've probably seen in movies and these warships of the ancient Greeks. And you may have noticed, uh, to, to start off with, they were all uh, sailing ships. But the problem with a warship being just a sailing ship is that when there's no wind, there's nothing you can do about it. So what they've done is they went and they put a row of oars on in each side of those uh, sailing ships, and then they thought, well, if one row of oars will work good things, and maybe two rows will work even better, and then after two rows, they put three rows of those oars. You may have seen pictures and movies of those. They were called triremes, and uh, they had three rows of uh, oars on each side of the ship, and uh, for it to work the way it was supposed to work, they had to make sure that every one of those oars, all three, there were 25 oars in each row, and they had to be sure that they had a man to man each of those oars. And if they didn't have it, there would be confusion. The, the synchronization would be thrown off. And uh, when they were ready to go, they had to make sure that everyone was in the right place and everyone was going to be able to do their job, that they would have the full regiment of people to man those oars. And when that happened, it was called a pleroma. It means that it had everything that was needed for that ship uh, to operate. And that's what the, uh, the Apostle Paul uses here and is used many times in the Bible. And what it's talking about is that when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, that fullness of the Spirit means that we have everything that we need to do what God calls us to do. That He's not going to leave us wanting, but He is going to provide every single thing. And when He talks about the fullness of the Spirit, the Bible teaches that when we are surrendered and when we are 
yielded and we are accepting of what God wants to do in our lives, when we have that fullness of the Spirit, that we will have absolutely every single thing that we need to carry out that which God has commanded us to do. And so though the, full, the phrase fullness of the Spirit is not going to be found in the Word of God, that word pleroma or some form of it is related in related to the Holy Spirit is found over and over again, enough so that the thought of fullness of the Spirit is certainly acceptable for us to understand and for us to lean on. So as we study this morning, I want us to think about three vital aspects of the fullness of the Spirit, of being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And the first thing that I want you to notice is the essentiality of this fullness of the Spirit. The essentiality, in other words, it is essential that we be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you would, let's go to Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to read for you verses 1 through 4. And it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared... Excuse me. Excuse me. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. That word filled is a form of that word we've already talked about, pleroma. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues or in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. In Acts we find that the fullness of the Spirit was the initial act of the early church. When this uh, thing in Pentecost, this uh, event that happened here in Acts chapter 2 was the beginning of the uh, what we know today as the church. And uh, it was God's desire for them then for them to be able to begin this new work in the church of Jesus Christ, it's, it was his desire that each individual would be filled with uh, the Holy Spirit of God. And it should not surprise you that God's desire for you and for every one of us, every, every believer everywhere, is that God wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He wants us to know the fullness of His Spirit. And by the way, that also means if it is God's will that we be filled with the Holy Spirit, if it is God's will that we know the fullness of the Holy Spirit, if we live our lives apart from that, what does that mean? That means that we're out of God's will. And it ought to be the desire of each and every one of us that we know the fullness of everything that God has to provide for us. Amen? It ought to be our desire that we know everything and that we grow in grace and in the knowledge. That's the reason the emphasis of this year 
is going to be growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because it ought to be the desire of each and every one of us that we know the fullness of everything that God has to offer us. And uh, <clears throat> we want to be sure that we are able to do that. Now, listen, uh, we're talking about the essentiality of, uh, of the fullness of the Spirit, how it is essential for each and every one of us to know that fullness. And the reason for that is because God's Word commands that we be filled with the Holy Spirit. It begins way back with the words of Jesus. Remember what Jesus said in the book of Luke chapter 24. He says, wait here in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. He's, in other words, he's saying, don't go out yet. You stay right here in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to endue you with uh, power or to provide you, to fill you with power from on high. And that's a command. And uh, if it's not clear enough there, the Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5 and uh, verse 8, and by the way, Paul was inspired by God, and he said, Be not drunk with wine, but be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, that's a command as well. He's saying, he's telling us that his desire for us is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, God doesn't want you to be walking around off-center. He doesn't want you to be uh, tilted one way or the other. He wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God so that we might be able to perform, that we might be able to live, that we might be able to do the things that He calls us to do day by day and that we might be able to enjoy the life that He has come to offer each and every one of us. If Jesus, now let's, let's just think about this for a second. If Jesus Himself, as He walked on this earth, depended on the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? Jesus relied on the Holy Spirit over and over and over again. There in your notes, I'm going to give you some verses of Scripture. We're not going to turn to them, but if you write them down, it might be a good thing to go back and look them up uh, later on. But if you look at Luke chapter 1, verse 15... Luke chapter 3, verse 22. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14. And Romans chapter 8, verse 11. You will find in those verses, in the womb, at his baptism, during his ministry, at his death, at his uh, resurrection, Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And the point I'm trying to make, if Jesus depended on the power of the Holy Spirit, how much more important is it that you and I uh, depend on the power of the Holy Spirit? And the way we do that is that we yield ourselves and allow Him to fill us, that we might enjoy the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. See, God's Word commands the fullness 
of the Spirit. But not only does His Word command us, but His work, for His work, we depend on the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The very nature of witnessing. Remember what it says in the book of Romans, uh, the book of uh, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, and he says that you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And what he's saying there is that we're going to receive power. We're going to be endued with the power of the Holy Spirit when he comes upon us, and it's then and only then that we can be a witness for Jesus Christ. Without the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, nobody can lead someone else to saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody can be an effective witness for Jesus without the power of the Holy Spirit empowering them to be able to do such a work. And, and so if we're going to be witnesses for Christ, and God demands, He commands us that we go into all the world and make disciples of uh, people, every nation. And if we're going to do that, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I, I ask you this morning, if, if you uh, are filled with the Holy Spirit of God... It's only by the Spirit that anybody can do that. If you study through the book of Acts, and, and Acts is a wonderful book to study. I would encourage you to do that. But in Acts chapter 4, 8, we see Peter being moved by the Holy Spirit to witness to Cornelius. In Acts chapter 7, verse 55, we see Stephen at his stoning being able to proclaim the word of Jesus Christ as he was being stoned to death. In chapter 11 and verse 24, we see Barnabas being able to be used of the Holy Spirit of God to bring revival in Antioch. And in chapter 13, verses 9 through 11, we see uh, uh, Paul and... and uh, Barnabas in, in, the, uh, in the Philippian jail, uh, being able to witness to that Philippian uh, jailer. And that's why, that's why Jesus tells us, and this book here teaches us, that we need to know the fullness, the essentiality of the fullness of the Spirit of God. The second point that I want to point out to you this morning is not only the essentiality of the fullness of the Spirit, but the experience of the fullness of the Spirit. If you look there again in Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. He's talking about there, and they were all, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that word all means every one of them was filled with the Holy Spirit. And by the way, it does talk there about speaking in, uh, in other tongues and that kind of thing. And one of these days, I will, I will teach on that subject. We're not going to handle that today. But 
it's not saying that uh, that you have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the only way you can know it is speaking in tongues. As most of you are well aware, in Baptist churches, we don't usually uh, practice that. And I'm not saying that there wasn't ever a gift of speaking in tongues, but I think it was an apostolic gift. I think it was a gift that was given to the apostles to give evidence of the fact that uh, uh, they were... It was a brand new uh, movement, the Christian movement at that time, and to give authority and uh, uh, that there was that. I'm not saying that anybody uh, that speaks in tongues is out is crazy or anything like that. I'm just saying the Bible says that he gives that gift to whom he will and only those that he gives it to. And uh, if uh, most of the time, if someone were to speak in tongues and one of our churches and, and, and at, here at Hebron, most likely I would call them out of order. Because, and the reason I would do that is, number one, the Bible says that God is not the author of confusion. And there would be certainly confusion if that were to happen. But secondly, it also says, now if there was an interpreter, there may be uh, uh, room for that to happen. But the Bible says that there should never be speaking in tongues without there being an interpreter. And the reason I say that is because I've been in churches where there have been a lot of speaking in tongues and that kind of thing, and nobody interpreted anything, and uh, nobody knew what they were talking about. And so, uh, and the Apostle Paul says that without the interpretation, that there ought not to be any uh, speaking in tongues. I, I, I chased a rabbit there. I got off, and I wasn't even planning on speaking about that at all. But uh, but I read it and I said, well, maybe I need to deal with that for just a minute. But what we're talking about here is that they were all filled. And that means, uh, that's what I'm emphasizing here is that all of them were filled. Not just some of them, but all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And by the way, if there are, if we are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, there needs to be some preparation for that Holy Spirit, filling of the Holy Spirit. There are prerequisites to being filled with the Holy Spirit, and I think we can see them all here in chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Acts. There was preparation. If you look there in chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. Whether it's in our personal life or our corporate life together, as a church, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, there must be some kind of preparation. The Lord told them, remember we mentioned a while ago back in the book of Matthew, the Lord told them to wait until they were endued with power from on high. And we find here in Acts chapter 2 verse 1 that we find them all together and they were in one accord and they were... uh, awaiting for God to move. They had oneness of mind. There was an openness of heart. And there was an obedience to God's will. They were gathered there together and they were waiting on God to do something that would initiate this fulfillment of the Holy Spirit in their lives. So there must be some kind of preparation. And I believe that... uh, 
Well, I'll get into that in a minute. Not only must there be preparation, but there must be prayer. There must be prayer and supplication. If you go back to chapter 1 and verse 14. one fourteen, It says, these all, they're talking about the people that were there. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. They were all there together in that upper room and they were praying together and they were making supplications unto the Lord. They were lifting petitions unto God and they were waiting there for God to do something. Now, there was nothing, I don't think, spasmatic or uh, intermittent about what they were doing. They were gathered together in one place with one accord, and they were in constant and fervent prayer for the Lord. Do you remember Remember the story in the Old Testament? I think it's in Second uh, Kings, First uh, Kings chapter 18 and 19. Remember when Elijah did battle with the prophets of, uh, of uh, Baal and Asherah up there on top of Mount Carmel and God sent fire? And, and before that, three and a half years before that, God had uh, given uh, Elijah a prophecy that he wasn't, because of the, because of the uh, rebellion of the Jewish people, God was going to withhold rain for three and a half years that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years, not a drop for three and a half years in Israel. And then after that confrontation, and uh, Elijah, through his faith in God, won that confrontation. Right after that, he went up to the top of the hill, uh, top of the mountain, and he began praying for rain. It had been three and a half years, and he began praying for rain, and he took his servant with him, and... uh, he got down on his knees and he started praying. And after a while, he told his servant, go look and see if there's any rain coming. And the servant went and he looked and he came back. And he said, no, there's no rain. Hmm. Elijah says, okay, I'm going to pray again. And he prayed again and he told, a, he told the servant, go look and see if there's any rain coming. And uh, Eleazar was his name. He came back and he, and he said, said, no, there's no rain. He prayed again. Go look. He came back. There's no Go look. He came back. There's no rain. Go look. And on the seventh time, on the seventh time, he went and looked. And he said he saw, I saw a cloud about the size of a man's hand. And he came back and he told, he told Elijah, I saw that cloud. It was about the size of a man's hand. And Elijah jumped up and he says, go tell everybody. Go tell, go tell Ahab. Go tell everybody to get on the chariots. Get down off of this mountain because the rain's coming. And before they got down, there came a, whoo, a flooding rain. And, and matter of fact, the reason he said you've got to get off the mountain is because there's going to be raining so much they wouldn't be able to get off the mountain. And there would be floods and mudslides and all of that kind of stuff. But... Notice it didn't happen the first time he prayed. It didn't happen the second time he prayed. It didn't happen the third time he prayed. Or the fourth or the fifth or the sixth. But on the seventh time, 
that he prayed. He saw that hand out of that cloud the size of a man's hand out all across the Mediterranean and he knew that the rain God was going to honor. Folks, listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. When you pray and ask God to do something in your life, don't pray just once. Don't pray even just twice. But what he's saying is it ought to be constant prayer. It ought to be fervent prayer. It ought to be consistent prayer. You keep praying until God does what he says he'll do because that's his promise. Seven times he prayed. And of course, we know that seven is a perfect number and uh, in numerology in that day. And, uh, and it could mean that he prayed many times, but at least seven that he prayed. Tell everybody to get off this mountain. This is the story. James uh, uh, quoted this passage when he told when he gave a statement in the book of James that the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much and uh, and then he said uh, later in the book of first James at James chapter one he says but let him ask in faith with no doubting and then he goes on to say for let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. So we need, to, we need to have preparation. We need to have prayer and supplication. And we need to have expectation. He says, don't let, if you don't pray believing, don't expect that you're going to get anything from God. He says, what you, Jesus said, you can ask anything in my name believing and I will give it to you. But you have to believe. You have to, it's an act of faith. And that faith only comes from the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I've talked about the essentiality of the Holy Spirit and the experience of the Holy Spirit. Let me also give you just a few things that are evidence of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's a fascinating study to look at the references in the book of Acts. Uh, really it's the acts of the apostles the things that the apostles were able to do through the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the first thing that I want to share with you and it comes in chapter 4 and verse 31 is that they're fearless to speak for Christ look at chapter 4 and verse 31 It says, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Uh, you know, I, 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 I've prayed for this for a long time, and I'm going to keep praying. Uh, it said they prayed together there, and they prayed and the place was shaken by their prayers. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. I want to see, I want to see a place shaken 
by the prayers of God's people. Now listen, I'm not necessarily calling for an earthquake. I don't think that's what it's really talking about. I think it's talking, I, I think it's talking about people were shaken to the core. They were the, the prayer was so real. The prayer was so fervent. The prayer was so intense that the people there were shaken. Have you ever asked God to shake you to your core? I mean, I mean, to be shaken by God, to know his presence and to do what he says. That's what that's what that's what I pray for our church. I pray that we might be shaken to our foundation, that we might be shaken awake to be uh, uh, able to do everything that God called us to do. And, uh, oh boy, what a powerful thing. It's, it's, uh, they were fearless for Christ. Then, then, then there's the joy that we feel when we know we're filled with the Holy Spirit. I, I think, I think that uh, Phil was experiencing some of that this morning as he was up here. I love, I love the way he relates to us. In chapter 2, in verse 46 and 47, it says, So continually, daily, with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those which were being saved. What a, what a blessing it is when the people of God gather together in the fullness of the Spirit and they're excited about what God is doing. Can I, can I make a confession? Uh, Phil did that this morning, so let me make a confession this morning. I know that I grew up, I, I started preaching in a different age than we live in today. And uh, I know the style of preaching is different today. I see these guys on TV, I mean, like great preachers, people that I respect a whole lot. And, uh, and I see them, and they're very uh, calm in their preaching. They sit and they talk and, and they just reason out and they, uh, you know, they, they teach the word and it's powerful and uh, simplicity. They, they're able and, and, and boy, I talking to those churches. Sometimes I've asked God, I said, God, would you? Maybe I need to change my style of preaching. Maybe I need to be more docile. Maybe I need to be obedient, intellectual, something like that. Maybe that would. I can't do it. I've tried. I've tried. People, people, people say, Pastor, you walk all over the stage when you're preaching. You raise your voice, you lower your voice, you, you, you wave your hands. I don't know what I would do. Uh, somehow this past week I've hurt my shoulder and I can't lift my arm very well. And I said, I don't know how. 
How am I going to be able to preach if I can't move and I can't? I couldn't do it, folks. I tried and I tried and I tried and I just couldn't do it because let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. I get excited about what God's doing in this world. I think we live in exciting days. I think the challenges before us are phenomenal. And it's going to take a phenomenal God, an amazing God, a powerful God, an exciting God. You try to tell me that when that fire came down on Mount Carmel that those people weren't excited about what God was doing? Let me tell you what I think the church needs today. We need to be excited about what God's doing. Boy, there needs to be some joy in our hearts. But not only is it, not only is it that, but also in holiness in chapter 4. Look at verse 13. Chapter 4, verse 13, if I can find that. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. When people see you out in the world, when people see you at the grocery store or at work, do they, can they recognize, I mean, do they understand? Do they know that you spent time with Jesus? I mean, can they, can they see the difference that Jesus makes in your life? In chapter 6 and verse 5, and the saying pleased the whole multitude and they were, uh, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. It talks about holiness. It talks about there being a difference. This was the very beginning of the deacons. And, and they chose Stephen because he was a man full of faith and filled with the Holy Spirit. The psalmist in Psalms 29 says that it is the beauty of holiness. You can't conjure that up. You can't manufacture it. You can't fake it. It's just something that happens to you when you spend time with Jesus. In chapter 4, verses 31 and 35 through 35. It says, And when they had prayed in the place where they assembled together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart, of one soul. Neither did anyone say that the things that he possessed was his own, but they had things in common. And the great power and the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Now, there was that not, not nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all them all uh, who had possessions uh, of lands and houses said sold them and brought the proceeds of those things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each as anyone had need. Now I'm not saying that for you to be filled with the 
Holy Spirit, you need to go sell your house. I'm not saying that and bring all that money to the church. I, I don't think that's what they're teaching. He says, as the people have need, those that had made provision for those that had needs. And I believe we do a good job of that here at Hebron Baptist Church. And, uh, but it's not a, that we're willing to uh, make sacrifices. We're willing to give. We're willing to, to uh, put our money where our mouth is and help those that have need. In Acts chapter 6, in the beginning, I've already read that about the, uh, about the deacons. They were willing to stand for Christ. And when it came to Stephen, he was willing to suffer for Christ as he was being stoned to death. See, there you see evidence after evidence after evidence. If you study through the book of Acts, you'll find evidence after evidence after evidence that the fullness of the Holy Spirit has an impact. On people's lives. It changes people. You don't have to change to become a Christian. But when you do become a Christian. You will be changed. Amen. You will be changed. There will be a difference in your life. After you come to know Jesus. So let me ask you that question this morning. Let me ask you. Has there been a change in your life? Some of you. Some of you were saved. Like my beautiful wife, she was saved when she was three months old. <laughs> not real, not really. <laughs> she was seven years old, but but uh, she was in church nine months before she was born, and uh, and uh, she was there every Sunday, and uh, so so it's, for some people it may be a little bit more difficult to see that change if you've grown up in the church and you've lived your life. But listen, listen to me. Listen to me. It's difficult for others to see the difference in those people who grew up in the church. But in your heart of hearts, you know, you know if there's been a difference, if there's been a change. You know. Have I given my life to Christ? Have I, have, Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. But if you confess me not before men, I'll not confess before my Father. You know whether or not you've made that decision. You know whether or not you are living for him or for not. I'm asking you, I'm for Hebron Baptist Church, to become everything that we can be. We need to grow both in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I'm asking you today, are you willing are you willing to take that stand? Are you willing to plant that stake in the ground and say, Pastor, I I want I want everything that God wants for my life. I'm willing to. I'm willing to.
It may be that you need to come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've never done that. And if you have, I'd invite you to come this morning and say, Pastor, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord. Maybe that you're looking for a church home. And you say, hey, this would be a pretty good place to plant ourselves and help this church become everything that we can be in Christ Jesus by growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord. Whatever it is, it may be that you're already a member of this church, but you know, nobody else may know, but you know there are some things that are going on that you need to get right with the Lord. That uh, may be that be that you need to where you'll be standing. If you want to come, I'll pray. But you can do it right where you'll be standing. Just whatever it is, whatever it is, this is your opportunity to respond. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Take that stand for Him today. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for all that you do. I thank you, God, for this message. I pray, God, that you teach us what that fullness is all about. Lord, help us not to go through life as half-full Christians, but that we would know the fullness of what a relationship with you is. I just ask you, God, to move in hearts today. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.